Welcome to the Intentional Growth Podcast, the show that teaches you how to grow the value of a company with an end in mind. Host Ryan Tansom interviews top business leaders, authors, entrepreneurs, and other professionals who share their experience and expertise about buying, growing, and selling companies. Thanks for tuning back in. Today's episode is going to be a lot of fun. We're going to be talking about generations and the different impact generations and their values have on the economy, trends, consumerism, capitalism, tons of different things. And more specifically, today we're going to be talking about Gen Z and their impact on the future of our economy and business as we know it. Jason Dorsey is on the show today. He's a research guru and president and co-founder of the Center for Generational Kinetics, He's the author of Zeconomy, How Gen Z Will Change the Future of Business and What to Do About It. He's a public speaker about Gen Z and millennials from his research on them and has earned himself the quote-unquote research guru title and over a thousand standing ovations. He's done more than 65 generational studies. He's been on 60 Minutes, CNBC, The Today Show. He's done pieces in the Wall Street Journal, New York Times, and his mission at the Center for Generational Kinetics is to help businesses make informed decisions about their employees, clients, and customers. And on the interview today, he's going to be talking about how the underutilized resource, that is Gen Z, is going to come in like a wrecking ball and reshape our entrepreneurial landscape. They're not afraid to put their wallets where their values are, and they expect you to do the same. And just so you know, Gen Z right now is 24 years old. We're not talking about babies and kids here. Jason has a deep understanding of what makes Gen Z tick, backs up his claims about their potential with statistics from countless hours of research his company has been a part of. Everything he talks about in his book, Economy, he brings to life on the show. If you haven't had a chance to hear Jason speak in person, here's the next best thing is he gives his advice about how to handle multiple generations working shoulder to shoulder. Some of the things that you're going to be learning today in the show is why Gen Z is more likely to save money than spend it, why Gen Zers entering the market have an immediate potential to surpass their millennial peers, why the buying and spending habits of Gen Z are indications of the future of the economy, what actually consists of and makes up a generation based on milestones, locations, and things that they experience within each generation. You're going to learn how to better connect with, build trust with, drive influence between generations, and more specifically, what Gen Z values when it comes to the products and services that they consume, the employers that they're reaching out to, and the levels of communication that they expect in order to build the relationship and the trust that you want as an employer and as a future product or service that they're going to consume. All in all, this is an amazing episode because Jason has so much insight into the way that our world's going to change based on the demographics that he researches. It's very hard to predict the future, as we all know. However, when you look at big demographic changes and the momentum that different demographics and generations have, it's very difficult to argue with that baby boomers are getting older. Generation Z is coming into the workforce. They're coming into the consumer spending area. And the general themes and values that these different cohorts have will change the landscape of business and the economy as we know it. So by learning these trends and these values, you can better tap into what the future of your business is going to look like, the future trends that are going to be happening 
You don't have to predict today what's going to happen, but you can tap into big themes that are easier waves to predict and to ride. Don't forget to check out our intentional growth virtual cohorts or our course and coaching opportunities where we're going to be diving into valuations, value growth, different exits, how to strategically grow the value of your company with an end in mind. Go to arcona.io, go to our education tab. We've got a lot of good information out there. If you got any questions, don't hesitate to reach out. So without further ado, here is my episode with Jason Dorsey. Sponsored by Arcona's Intentional Growth Digital Course. Ryan Tansom and Pat Hobby show you how to shift your mindset away from solving for annual income to focusing on strategies that create long-term value, giving you the freedom and choices to take control of the future destiny of your business. Accelerate your knowledge with 36 videos and dozens of exercises that combine decades of experience buying, growing, and selling companies. Learn more by going to arcona.io or visiting the show notes. Jason, how are you? I'm great. Thrilled to be with you today. Big fan of what you're all about and what you're doing and bringing to the world. So thanks for having me on the show. Super excited. I was just telling you, you know, I got to always save uh, my excitement sometimes before I hit the record button because I can, you know, naturally go right into it. But I was just telling you that I just got done wrapping up your book. I have to say, I was so enlightened from it. Not necessarily enlightened as in like I learned different things, but I was so excited, Jason, of like all the stuff we're dealing with right now in the world. And like, it just kind of was like, holy shit, I'm super pumped for Gen Z. <laughs> like, yeah. honestly, and it was just really, you know, I had, there's not a lot of stuff out there about the demographics and the different generations. I'm just excited to have you on the show. From your research-based perspective, kind of give everybody on whatever generational spectrum they're on, I think it's going to be a fun show. So with that being said, why don't you give the listeners a little bit of your background and then uh, you know what it is that the book is, and then we can kind of kick off into some of the meat. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, as you shared, my name is Jason Dorsey. I'm president and co-founder of the Center for Generational Kinetics, which is a very long title to say we study generations uh, specifically to help business leaders grow their companies faster. And our passion and what I'm really focused on is separating generational myth from truth, because so much of what is said about generations just isn't true. You know, people say, oh, millennials aren't working, and yet we're the largest generation in the workforce. Or they say things like, oh, this young generation, uh, you know, don't pay attention to money, yet their savings rate is much higher than previous generations. And and there's so much more that we can dive into here. Um, But probably most relevant for your listeners, I have owned my own company since I was 18 years old. When I was 18, I was a junior in college. Uh, at the University of Texas at a 4.0. And uh, I decided that I was going to drop out of school, write a book and help my generation. And my parents basically disowned me. I ended up sleeping on the floor of a garage apartment. I turned 19. I was $50,000 in debt, uh, sleeping on the floor. I had printed, self-printed 5,000 copies uh, of my first book and was basically left to go figure it out. And so over the course of those years, uh, I ended up helping the book become became a bestseller. And then out of that, keynoting all these conferences, and then ended up on the Today Show and The View and sold a TV show and all these things. And was speaking all around the world. I uh, spoke to about half a million member of a millennial generation, my own generation, before we were called millennials, you know, which we, we could talk about. And then ultimately, 
I was on a show, 60 Minutes, and it was one of the highest rated episodes of the year that it came out. And it was all about millennials and sort of morally safer, you know, sort of the curmudgeonly sort of beating up millennials for not having their act together. And of course, I am a millennial, so I took offense to that. <laughs> and, uh, and then out of that show, um, I got asked to speak at all these corporate boards and just big uh, corporate private equity venture capital events. And I'll never forget, I was at this con- uh, not a conference, at this board meeting. And this is sort of where everything, you know, stemmed from in the future. I've written lots of books and stuff, but this is where this economy came out. I'm in this boardroom, public company, a real famous company, and the CEO is speaking with conviction about his millennial employees just being very difficult. And it it was, you know, everything you've heard, you know, they they show up late, they won't work on their birthday, they've been here a month, they want to raise, you know, what the hell is wrong with y'all? And again, I'm a millennial, and, uh, and so this was about 13 years ago. I didn't know any better. Right? At that time, I hadn't served on public company boards. I hadn't done all the things that, that we've done since. And so I turned to them in the boardroom and said, you know, I'd love to see your data. If, if you'll send me the data, I'd love to take a look at it and see if I can contextualize the problem. And, and maybe there's some things in there I'll see. So they sent me the data and I had no idea. I mean, now fast forward all these years, I had no idea that it's very unusual for a CEO to speak with such conviction in a board meeting and be wrong. Like you don't do that, particularly on a public company board. But, uh, but so I got the data and I looked at the data and the data didn't match what the CEO had just said. And this is a CEO that I held uh, and hold in high esteem. So I, I went to my wife, who's a co-author book, and I said, Denise, you know, this is the strangest thing. I'm in this boardroom with all these incredibly smart people, very successful company. The CEO says millennials are not great employees. They sent me the data and the data doesn't match what the CEO just said. In fact, it says the opposite. I said, Denise, what do you think we should do? And she says, we should start a research firm. (laughs) She said, because if a famous CEO of a famous company isn't either looking at the data or interpreting the data right, there's a massive opportunity for us to lead original research to help executives make informed decisions, truly research-based decisions. So that's how we founded the Center for Generational Kinetics. It's been over 10 years now. We've led more than 65 generational studies around the world. Uh, for many of the biggest brands in the world. And at the same time, um, besides leading studies for them, all kinds of name brands that you would know, we've worked with 700 different companies. And so all those companies send us their data when they're trying to understand how consumers are changing or where should they invest or probably relevant for your listeners. Uh, we have a lot of PE firms that keep us on retainer. And they say, Jason, we're thinking about buying this legacy brand. If we flip it and do these things to it, will Gen Z buy or will affluent millennials buy? And so we do the analysis and research and then join on the strategy side or the venture capital where I work in a lot. And they say, Jason, we're thinking about investing in this company. Is this really on trend? Is this a fad? You know, is this here to stay? Will it ripple up to other generations? And so now all these years later, we've done more generational studies than anybody that we're aware of because all we do is generational studies. It's not like a piece of our business. It is our passion. It's our thing. And then out of that is the News Economy book where we really want to introduce Gen Z to the other generations in a way that's accurate grounded in data and not just, you know, stories of, well, I know a Gen Z. You're like, you know, like that's great. My that's brother a- is. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. I mean, my daughter's in the book. Sure, she's nine and she's definitely a Gen Z, but like the book's not about her. <laughs> <laughs> well, and so there's a couple of different things that I want to do with uh, this interview because first of all, I highly recommend the book. People go get that and we, we'll have the links to that in the, in the show notes. It's very like, I have so much faith in where we're going um, for various different reasons. But like what I want to be able to do, because, you know, you have so much insight of like, what is generation? What are truly the generations? You know, so we can set up some of the foundation behind this, Jason, of like, okay, how are we going to de- uh, demystify some of the stuff? We actually get into the data. And then 
you know, I also like, I know when you're writing the book and I think in the audio book, you actually mentioned, cause I was reading and listening at the same time, kind of back and forth, but you mentioned the pandemic that has probably accelerated so many of the trends. And so mm-hmm. I want to kind of set the building blocks behind this. Cause then I think is for the owners that own companies that want to grow faster, that their consumer or their customers are changing, their employees are changing the, and then like everything got accelerated over the last six months. And to set maybe just a little bit of context of why I think that this is important too is first of all, I'm a millennial as well, right? So I'm on the very like top end. I'm I'm 34 next month. And what's crazy in what I learned about myself, Jason, as I was listening to your book, is I'm an early adapter. So I bought the MP3 players back when Sony had one that was like 600 bucks with my lawn mowing company. And like, but again, I was an early adapter. So like, I remember sitting in the, in my uh, backyard over a bonfire with my best friend from college. Uh, this is 11 years ago. And I just started in the family business, copiers and printers. I'm like, all copiers are going to be dead. Everything's going to be digital. And I just didn't realize how slow things change. <laughs> a lot of the trends you talked about in your book, I had thought were going to happen way faster because just my personality. So it was interesting. A lot of the things that I see as a millennial, as we're, we bridge between like the baby boomers generation, who I spend 90% of my time with, but then also the previous generation, which is kind of where I live in like the technical world. So it's just interesting that your book just shed some light on like the trends are happening. And then these, the, this next generation are just going to be changing things truly with their wallet, where I saw that millennials didn't have, we were kind of like, kind of victim of like, okay, all the systems were still like put in place when we got into the workforce. So it's just very interesting from my own perspective. So before we dive into a bunch of these different areas, set some foundational blocks for us. Like what are, what defines a generation and how did you dissect the data? So that way, as we're talking, people can have some context behind it. Yeah. Thank you for doing that. I think the mistake a lot of people make is they sort of jump right into talking about a generation without really getting clear on the concept of what a generation is and also what it is not. And one of the things we believe at CGK, right, because we do quantitative research, qualitative research, we do all kinds of things. We we do one-on-one interviews, we, you know, watch how people grocery shop, you know, we do all these sort of interesting things to bring to life what's true about generations. The the first thing to know about generations that I think is is very important, and I speak for so many family-owned businesses, and I I work with lots and lots of, of them, is that a generation is not a box, And I think this is very, very important. And I know you have a sophisticated listener, so I'm going to sort of get into it a little bit deeper than normal. So the way we define a generation at CGK is it's a segment of a geographically linked population that experience similar social and cultural events at roughly the same time in their maturation, leading to predictability by scenario, which is a fancy way to say it's a group of people that were born about the same time, but raised in about the same place. And that's what's never talked about. You know, I talk about this in my speeches, I talk about on our videos on our website, but it so often doesn't come up in sort of popular media. So it's a birth cohort, a group of people, but the key is they have to be raised in about the same place. And that's a really big deal. So for example, for your listeners in the US, we'll see differences within the same generation between urban and rural. And that's really important. So I grew up uh, in a small town. My best friend is from New York City. We were born same year, same month, but yet where we grew up made us different, right? Even though we have so many similarities, so many, you know, our views of technology and how we were raised, but we still saw things differently because trends originate in urban areas. You need population density and diversity, and then they expand out to rural and suburban other areas. So as we look at generations, first thing is it's clues and not a box. But what we know that the clues do, and we prove this through math repeatedly, is understanding generations enables you to faster connect with, build trust, and drive influence. 
And fundamentally, when you're working with business owners and business leaders and anybody out there, whether you're starting a new company, whether you're frontline sales, whether you're an executive or head of HR, or you're on the boards, like with what I do, being able to connect with and build trust and drive influence is absolutely essential to growing a company. You cannot grow a company without those three elements, period. It just doesn't work. Now, there's lots of different ways we can do that, right? In different formulas, but fundamentally, that's what you need to do. And understanding generations will help you to understand how to do each of those three things faster. And then what we talk about a lot in the economy book is what shapes generations. And again, this is not talked about enough. And all these conferences I speak at, whether now it's all virtual keynotes and webinars, but particularly <laughs> when I was speaking in person, you know, and actually got on airplanes, uh, one of the, the, the most important things we talk about that shapes generations that never comes up, and you brought it up already, but it never comes up, and that is parenting. How you are raised is one of the greatest influencers of what people will go on to do. It shapes how you work. Student loan debt, consumer debt, is a job beneath you. All of these things, should you move? I mean, we can go to so many things. We can look at marriage and kids and you know, saving for retirement. These are all shaped by parenting. So what we do at CGK is we heavily focus on parenting. And I know you, you've seen this in the Z Economy book, but if we want to understand a generation, we have to understand their parents because that's where so much of that comes from. Mm -hmm. So for example, you know, Gen Z being so frugal, which is something we should talk more about. You know, the example I give is a Gen Z will have a birthday party. They're 13 years old or 16 years old. They have a birthday party. They get 50 bucks. They take the 50 bucks, they put it away and they come back to their mom or dad and say, Hey, can I have 50 bucks? I want to go buy something. And the mom or dad says, no, use your money. You just, you got that money for your birthday. And they say, no, no, that's my money. <laughs> I want to spend your money, which is so wild. So, so if we go back across these generations, we'll look at the role of parenting. So, so we look at parenting, and then we also look at a number of factors. One more, very relevant for you, because this is something that I think uh, really speaks to how uh, your, your strength and how you view the world, is technology. And so if you look at technology as a through line, and you, if you were to just sort of ma map out, you know, going all the way back from radio to black and white TV to color TV, and we could throw all kinds of things in there, transistors, landing on the moon, whatever. If you took all of those tech advancements and put them on a timeline, and then overlay generations, you okay. would see what each generation would view as normal. And yep. this to me is the most important thing about technology. It's my most famous quote. And that is technology is only new if you remember it the way it was before. Otherwise, it's all you've ever known. And this is a massive deal for all business people to really get their hands around because people say to me, oh, Jason, Gen Z represents so much change. I'm like, no, they don't. They're just bringing all they've ever known into your workplace or into your marketplace. They don't even see it as change because it's all they've ever known. If you don't remember a time before social media, social media is media. Or one of the things in the book that we talk about, um, earned wage access, this idea of getting paid half of your wages every day. There's a company in the book featured mm -hmm. called Instant Financial. So Gen Z can get half their money every day at the end of their shift, whether they work at a restaurant or manufacturing or healthcare or whatever. So they walk out. They get a notification on their phone. It says, Jason, would you like half your money from today? I saw you earn $64.12. And if I click yes, whammo, I get half the money at no fee. Why is this important? Because now millions of young adults, their entire work experience has been being able to get paid every single day. So what do you think they're going to expect when they come to work for you? In yep. fact, you're not going to look behind the times, even though you're going, that's the craziest thing I've ever heard of, right? Well, and what, what I want to do here too, because I... I think this is so important for us to sit, for the listeners that are getting in this because I want to get into your findings of Gen Z towards the the the, the second half or the last third of this because I want to set the foundation first because I don't want people to go, 
you know, like, like stomping their feet going, this sucks, you know, their expectations and you, you viewing it in a negative light, because I view it after listening to your book, Jason, I'm like, well, duh, if you replace Gen Z in your book with baby boomers or whoever, who wouldn't want a world? Yeah. In what they want, right. And what they expect. It's like, well, duh, this is all great. It's, it's so it's not negative. So you, you know, if you're an owner and you're thinking about what you just said, you're like, well, that's just annoying. Well, it's like, but why wouldn't everybody as a, if we're all viewing this conversation from the consumer of the world that we live into, it all sounds better. <laughs> so it's yeah. like, it's amazing. Yeah. So it's like, yeah, it's a pain in the ass to change your business model. But like, you know, our generation, and just a funny story is like when I started in sales, so again, 21, 22 years old selling copiers. And I, I print out, like I printed out, map quest i only had my uh i had my darwin or whatever not darwin like garmin i can't even think of the freaking name is i printed off where i'm gonna cold call and everybody's like how the hell are you doing that because they weren't like they don't remember it but it was too early to you know break all the systems so now it's like well gen z is going to be paying like they're they're going to be changing with their wallets which i find interesting but it's the stuff that should be happening anyways so i think (laughs) that makes sense Uh, It totally does. And I think to your point, so if we look at these macro trends that shape generations like parenting, like we talked about technology, what we're seeing at CGK is for the first time, technology trends are starting with the youngest and rippling up to the oldest. Mm -hmm. This is a huge deal for businesses because there's, you know, most of my clients like yours are baby boomers and Gen X. And, and certainly there's resistance, but there's many of them I see that see this as an opportunity because once they find out, you know, it's not hard. It turns out that it's just an integration. It's one phone call to offer same day pay, or let's take your map example. You know, to me, what I find interesting is when I get in my car, it automatically on my phone tells me where it thinks I want to go. And 90% of the time it's right. And then when I go to figure out where I'm going on my map, I don't type it in. Of course I do voice to text. So I just say, how do I get there to, you know, I'm not going to say any names because they'll all go off here all around the house. But the idea being that, you know, (laughs) everybody likes moving in that direction. We may not like it while we're in it, but afterwards, like, of course, I'm just going to talk to my phone rather than typing it in. Or everybody likes it from a consumer perspective from, but if you're a business owner, like I got to change my earpieces and my marketing, I got to have people in marketing that are having chatbots on my website. All that is un foreign but like it's so funny because these owners that i know my dad being one of them we always said if it can pass the cory test it's consumer ready because like <laughs> and it, it, the funny thing is is like consumers want it i want to be able to talk to this so regardless of what age you are but it's hard from the business operations and model perspective to change but when you listen to your book you're like well you need to and it's going to be better for everybody to make your help your company more sustainable and it's enjoyable yeah, that's what we find. I mean, we have so many clients. We've grown so quickly as a company because once business owners realize, okay, they're not trying to put me out of business. This isn't personal. This isn't saying I'm bad with technology. This is saying, hey, the market is changing around me and this is a massive opportunity for me. And if I want to truly build a you know, lasting business, one that's truly generational or to maximize and exit out into the future, I have to be able to show that I can reasonably adapt. This is not change your business model, fire everybody, you know, whatever, work from home. We're not arguing that at all. What we're just saying is that if we understand new generations, and by the way, Gen Z's already 24 years old. So we're not talking about 13-year-olds necessarily here. They're the fastest growing generation in the workforce and the number one generation of consumer trendsetters. If we know that, then this is a huge opportunity. And I would argue that the companies that have been around a long time have a lot of institutional knowledge that they can then add 
to adapting to this and really have an advantage. In fact, in venture capital, uh, where obviously I, I work a lot, what we see is that you have a lot of people that understand trends but don't have the institutional knowledge. Mm. So, so they can grow very quickly, but then stuff starts to break, and then they often run into market forces. Now, some are able to navigate through that. Some add people like me to their board. Some, you know, change up what they do along the way and sort of rebuild the plane in the air. But, but it's one thing to say, yeah, I can build a great app or I can build a great interface and I can bring people on. But when you start running into regulatory issues, manufacturing issues, financial issues, things that people have a lot more experience already know how to deal with, the combination of those two together is profoundly strong. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that's why you see so many family-owned businesses spin out entrepreneurs that go and do amazing things. They've been exposed to all that. I grew up in a family-owned business, and you know, I, I don't I say this jokingly, but I mean it seriously. You know, one of the best things that ever happened to me was both my parents. My parents were divorced. Both of them, their businesses went uh, went under, went out of business. And I distinctly remember both of them losing their companies. Mm-hmm. And and I distinctly remember, now mind you, I grew up in a family-owned business my whole life as a, as a young person, right? As, as far back as I can remember, my parents owned their own businesses. And I remember the great times, and then I remember the totally broke times, and then I remember the, you know, we lost everything times, right? The, the whiplash, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's that's what it is to be an entrepreneur, right? And, and so, you know, I, I mean, I, I distinctly remember that. And I think that's what helps me to appreciate even more the value and the experience of, of people that have been in a business or an industry or, or develop a skill along with the necessity to adapt. Because in both cases, and this isn't, you know, anything negative about my parents. In fact, you know, my, my dad works for me and, and uh, my mom does somewhat too. So they're, they're very close friends. I talk to them every day. But, but what's interesting is they will both tell you now, 10 years later, that they chose not to adapt because they thought that, you know, it would be okay because it had been okay for 25 years, each of them. Yep. And then, you know, their markets changed around them. They didn't adapt and, and it was awful. And by the time they figured it out, it was, you know, generally too late. So I just share that to say my heart is with business owners and I know the pain of, of you know, it sucks when you lose all your stuff and it sucks. Like in my case, my mom moved in with me. She straight up moved in and lived in our house for six months after, you know, everything going on. And, you know, my dad now works for me every day. And, and so like, I, I get it. Like it, it is hard and it sucks. And it sucks for the family owned businesses when you see your parents put in a position that it's just awful. I mean, it's just, it is an absolutely awful position and they're still your parents and they still love you and they still want to do the best for you and help you, but they're, you know, in a place where they don't know how to get out of it. Right. So I learned a lot of lessons from that, that we applied our own business, but also helps you to understand how to work with family owned businesses. So the idea is that we look at generations as clues and not a box. There's certain trends that shape them, parenting being one, technology being one. We look at things like economics, which we could talk more about, the difference between the Great Recession and COVID-19 now. We look at mobility. You know, we, we have more uh, 20-somethings living with their parents now than we've had since the Great Depression. So the time in life when you're supposed to be mobile, we actually see people staying close to home. This was already trending that way pre-COVID. COVID just accelerated that. So we look at all these sorts of things, and then you realize, wow, business owners today have a really tough situation. They're often leading three, four, maybe even five different generations. They're often mar- at, at one time. I mean, you, you should see it. It's so funny when I'm speaking to these audiences, I'll be like, we have everybody share their greatest tech breakthrough of their youth. And it's like, I remember color TV. <laughs> like, 
what? And somebody else is like, I remember Pong. And then somebody else says, Facebook. And they're like, what? You know, and it's like this whole thing of, no, I remember landlines. And, and when I got the really long phone cord, that was my freedom. I could, I could pull the phone all the way across my bedroom, get in the closet, shut the door and have a private conversation. Or somebody else knows party lines. And, and it's hilarious because people are saying things that were so instrumental to them coming of age. And the whole, like 80% of the audience doesn't know what it is. <laughs> and so that's when it, it just helps you to add a little more uh, context to the world and context to business. So as we put all these things together, I think it'll be helpful to maybe give a little um, order chronologically. Yeah, that'd be huge. So the, the oldest generation would be baby boomers. And as we think about baby boomers, now, obviously there's generations before them. Sometimes they're still active in the workforce, uh, the generation before them. I tend to serve on some boards with sort of pre-baby boomers, with what we would call uh, traditionalists. And then, but baby boomers are still the dominant senior leaders in the workplace. And I think this is very important because young people, particularly millennials, uh, often sort of say, you know, boomers are on their way out or boomers don't know technology. And I'm like, whoa, 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 time out there. <laughs> they invented the phone you're using. <laughs> you can't hook your printer up to the Wi-Fi. They made that phone. <laughs> time out here. Let's, let's show some, uh, some appropriate respect and appreciation. They may not know some of these other things you're doing. I got it. But trust me, those would not be possible without them. And we find that there are many boomers that are very good with tech. So, so on one hand, baby boomers are still the most influential generation in the workforce. I think this is super important. They tend to be senior leaders. They tend to serve on the corporate boards. All the boards that I'm on is basically me and a whole bunch of baby boomers. They also have the strongest regulatory relationships and, and they have the most experience and they also control the wealth in the country. So for these and many other reasons, boomers are still the most influential, which I think is shocking to some people. Like they clearly think it's uh, going to be Gen X or millennials or somebody else. It's still boomers. And we think it will be. And, and frankly, due to COVID-19, we know that boomers aren't retiring. Uh, they're going to try to keep working as long as they can. They've had to dip into their emergency savings account or draw down on their retirement or different things that have happened. So, and so there's all purpose and people don't, and the whole notion of retirement is different now and our ability to work. It, we don't have to go down that rabbit hole, but I, yeah, I no, totally agree. It's part of their identity. I mean, my, you know, my dad is, uh, you know, very much a baby boomer born in 1952. And, and he basically says, if he can't work, he doesn't have a purpose, you know, and it's a different type of work, right? Like they want to do something that, that they enjoy, which also is a, a labor force to tap into. That is different than ever before, too. No, I totally agree with you. Yeah, they want to have an impact and not feel like, you know, as, as my dad says, you know, I don't want to be put out to pasture. I want to be in the race. And like that's sort of that, that mindset. You know, he's still the first person to work every day at our company. So as you, you sort of think about it, the so you have the boomers who have the most experience. We think baby boomers are two different generations, older and younger, because they have um, different defining events. But that's sort of a rabbit hole to go down. But just know they're this huge generation, about 80 million. And then you get to Gen X who is uh, younger than them. Gen X was born in the U.S. roughly 1965 to 1976. Again, these are all approximate and they can move around a little bit based on where you are. Uh, the key thing with Gen X is Gen X is not talked about enough. You know, our big view is that nobody talks about Gen X, yet they're incredibly important. They're the glue in the workforce. They're being pulled in multiple different directions right now due to COVID-19. They're the bridge between the different generations. And we believe that Gen X if you, uh, you know, lots of companies you work with are, are large or fast growing, or we're trying to turn them around and they, the executives or the board, because most of the stuff we do is sort of in like a boardroom or, or somewhere uh, in high confidence. And they'll say, Jason, what generation do we need to focus on based on your work? Is it millennials? And I'm like, no, the most important data in your company on the workforce side right now is Gen X. Mm -hmm. Is Gen X staying? Because Gen X is deciding right now, do they stay or do they go? 
We know very specific things that will get them to stay. And if you can't get them to stay, you're in trouble because they're the ones that have the most experience and should be moving into those senior leadership roles. So they, it's very critical that we focus on them, yet nobody talks about them. Yep. And genetics has very specific characteristics based on how they grew up and how they were raised and so forth. So then we jump down to millennials, just again for context. Now, the millennial birth years are hotly debated. So I'll give you the range we use at CGK, but just know that it, they, they vary. I'll, I'll share with you our reason behind them. But we believe that millennials in the U.S., start somewhere between 1977 and 1981. And I'll explain why in a second. And we know they end in 1995. We know the ending because the most important uh, generation defining moment of the millennial generation, which I talk about a lot in the economy, is uh, then September the 11th, 2001. And this is very important because this was the where were you when moment for millennials, but Gen Z does not remember it. And so that's how we know the generation ends and a new one begins. And uh, many famous, big, huge, massive research firms had to shift their birth years to match ours, or at least cut off at 1995. They all went to 2000 and said, oh, well, 2001 is the starting point. And we said, yeah, but we're behavioral researchers. Our focus is studying the why behind the mindset that people have, not tracking data. And so because of that, you know that they have to be old enough to remember where they are, feel fear about the future, fear about the unknown, not know what's going to happen next, all of these things for it truly to be a where were you when moment, which means they got to be at least a certain age. It's so gonna, we know it's going to change behavior for the correct. rest of the lives. Yeah. It's, they ha- it, it's a combination of life stage and generation. You got to be in the right life stage and then we tie it to the generation. So they got to be old enough to understand it. And I write about this a lot on our website, old enough to understand, old enough to feel fear, old enough to not know what's going to happen next, um, but young enough for it to change some of their attitudes and views of the world. So there's sort of a sweet spot there where millennials were. If you go to the beginning, the reason we say 77 to 81 is because there was no event. It was a transitional period. It's what we call cuspers. And it means you can be a mix of both generations. It's actually a strength, makes you empathetic to both. Now, what you were alluding to earlier, which I thought was very insightful uh, when you said your age relative to millennials, we think that millennials are going to split into two generations. And this is also a lot on our website. Now, we break it down between what we call megalennials and millennials. And megalennials are sort of out there in the world doing the things they're supposed to be doing. Nobody wants to talk about us. That would be you and me. <laughs> we're not controversial. We're not clickbait. You know, we're not you know, you know, driving up uh, ratings and eyeballs on BuzzFeed. And then, and then you have a whole other part of the generation that's struggling to create real world traction. This is the hot topic that everybody likes to talk about that sort of points out, oh, they don't have their act together, which is, I think, an unfair indictment. There's a lot more to it. But fundamentally, the generation has split. And the irony is, the group most offended by millennials acting entitled are actually other millennials who do not feel entitled. <laughs> yeah, it's like, what, what am I entitled with? Well, it's super interesting, and not to go down a major rabbit hole, but like I've always said is, Jason, that I be- believe that I'm like in this weird, and you, you labeled it cuspers, where like, dude, I grew up, we didn't have a cell phone until I was 16. And I know a boomer would say, well, I didn't have one at all. But the thing is, is like, yeah. truly, I was insulated. So a lot of the stuff that you talk about in Gen Z, I didn't grow up with. And I, I, yes. I'm assuming you and I are the same age. Like AIM came out when I was in high school. Napster came out when I was in high school. You have 2000 free hours of AOL, but I still had to ride my bike down to someone's house, call my mom to tell her that I was there. And so like this, and I started sales before any of this technology. And I was in college when Facebook came out. So it's like this weird where I'm not intimidated by college or I'm not intimidated by technology. So like adaption of WhatsApp or like any of these, you know, technical tools, not afraid of it. But I also remember that you put this damn thing down, you, you talk to people and you've got that human connection that allows me to like stem to the boomer generation too. So it's this weird two, like, I don't know how to describe it. It's interesting. Yeah. We you actually described it. I thought perfectly. And that is 
So, so all communication, this is something we study, are, are, is learned behavior. So people communicate in the way that's most comfortable and natural for them. Baby boomers tend to be very good at face-to-face or very good on the phone. Why? Because they can only communicate face-to-face or on the phone. So if you spent you know, 10, 20, 30 years only able to communicate that, you'd be a rock star at it too. <laughs> at the same time, somebody like my daughter, who's nine, she won't talk to you on the phone unless she can see you and it's FaceTime video. Otherwise, she's not going to talk to you. She'll say the phone is broken. She'll put it down. She'll walk away. She'll think you don't know how to communicate. You know, you don't even know how to use emojis. I'm sure it would just go down you know, terribly. But, but my point is, so you coming of age, uh, having to learn to communicate face-to-face, just by the way, like I did uh, early on, makes it much easier comfortable. We had to adapt and sort of bridge from one to the other. And that's what I think is so fascinating. Many millennials had to do that, right? But what's interesting is Gen Z has not had to do that. Right. 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 They've only known smartphones. They've always been able to, you know, pinch the screen and make it go larger or smaller. And, and now they've only had recommended content to tell them what to watch next, which now consume more of than the content they went to originally watch. So, so I say that because communication is, you know, their patterns and they're learned. And, and so sometimes it's forced. So when we travel around the world, depending on mobile phone adoption, really tells you a lot about how people communicate and how they use technology and what's being normal in a meeting and how I should think about sales and marketing and so forth. You know, we take for granted in the U.S. that we have over 100% phone adoption, meaning that on average, we, we have in the U.S. more than one device, right, per person, which is pretty wild. And you go to other parts of the world, and that's not the case. Now it is changing. But my, my point of all that is, you know, generations aren't a box or clues. And if you know the clues to look for, then you can really use them to your advantage, which is also why if you're a millennial, for example, all the millennials listening, being able to communicate in person is a huge advantage relative to others in the generation. Totally, totally, man. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's it's so funny. And there's this, this power in it in terms of it really helps you to build trust, uh, lead, and sell across multiple different generations. Because, and I say this a lot in my speeches, in sales, this is sort of a key thing for those that are in sales roles that are listening. In sales, you have to adapt to the way people want to communicate, shop, and buy. Right. If you want, you got to make it, you got to make it work for them. But when it's your company and you're running it, you have the authority to tell people that they need to work, you know, communicate in the way that works for you. But what we found is if you're willing to move towards them, then you actually create a better experience for everybody, particularly in a time of remote work. And and so there's, it's really interesting to sort of look at that and go, okay, where does this fit my role and what I'm trying to do? Am I really meeting customers where I am? Or am I asking employees to do something they don't like? Right. All of those things sort of come together. So, okay, I'm super pumped. That I think we've laid some awesome groundwork to dive into your findings on Gen Z and to kind of bridge the gap. What I find is interesting is that when you and I probably got into the workforce, when I say the systems were broken, like, I mean, ERP systems were bad. Sales and marketing was bad. I mean, it was just dinosaur, you know, especially me for as an, as an early adopter. But now, like, and we, in like the millennial, the first part of the millennial generation was just forced to buy the way that the systems and the institutions made us buy, which made us frustrated and crabby in various different ways. And like, I mean, finally people are like, oh my God, Amazon. Like, well, no shit. I've been using this for a decade. Or like, I've been using Evernote for a decade or one password for a decade. And like, now it's like, okay, now it's the norm. But what Gen Z is doing is they're just proving it with their wallet. Like, if you're not going to do this, there's going to be some financial repercussions for the, for the actual businesses. So why don't you like, in, it, as you were talking about the, like the things that change you know, that impacted their views, what are the things that are changing and how they're doing it? And then also, um, I was going to say that, uh, the, yeah, I think that would be, a, that's a good start. I forgot what I was gonna say. Sorry. <laughs> 
Yeah. So when we think about Gen Z, you're absolutely right. And I do want to add a little context to your statement, which I think is, is always part of the generational piece. Because usually I'm speaking to multiple generations or working with multiple generations at the same time. Yep. So you and I might look at an ERP system and say, oh, that's broken. Or we might look at some payment system and say, oh, that's broken. But if you came through, came of age with that system, you would have thought it might be the greatest thing <laughs> of all time. And you were like, what do you mean this is broken? This solves so many problems. A process that used to take us two weeks, we can now do in two hours. And you're like, yeah, but it should be two seconds. We're like, well, you know, so well, I think that, well, that context is always sort of interesting, right? Because, oh, you, you know, know, I always you nailed it, Jason. Because, like, I remember that was that exact dialogue was my dad and I, and he used to take offense to what I was saying. Where I was like, "Hey, no, I, I appreciate everything you've built, but let's keep going." And he's like, "This is awesome. We spent two hundred grand on this ERP system." I'm like, "But, but, like, they can't see where their ticket is." And he's like, "We came from paper." Yeah, and- that's it. <laughs> so I think appreciating recognizing that context for all the millennials that are listening uh, is very important to not making people feel like they. Uh, they didn't add any value through their tech innovation. There was a lot, right? But um, when we look at Gen Z, it's sort of the same thing going on. But now Gen Z is looking at millennials like you and me thinking we're old and outdated because <laughs> we are. But uh, <laughs> they're like, you use email? What's wrong with you, Jason? <laughs> so uh, as we look at Gen Z, there's a few sort of key things to know that shape them. And we dive into all of these a lot more in the Z economy book. But let me hit the highlights that I think will help to sort of uh, build the narrative. So the first is that Gen Z's parents are primarily not baby boomers. And this is very important. Boomers raised their kids, millennials like me, with this attitude of we want it to be easier for our children than it was for us. And they succeeded. And then they created this whole generation that they then were like, what did we do? All right. And fortunately, <laughs> some of us were able to work through it and others are still coming out of it. And you know, we're going to have late bloomers now that are 35 years old. But that's the sort of thing that we'll work through. When we look at Gen Z, their parents who are primarily Gen X, I know this little alphabet soup, but hang with me, and older millennials, when we interview them, they said, the parents said to their kids, we do not want you to end up like one of those millennials, <laughs> which is so funny because, of course, I'm a millennial, so I take offense to that. But they, they started with a different parenting viewpoint. At the same time, technology has always been mobile to them. That's all they've ever known. They didn't have to migrate to it like you or I did. This isn't new. This is why all these things are native to them, whether we're talking about TikTok or Instagram or whatever. And so just notice that for them, that is where they go. And in our research, which is in the book, we found that Gen Z trusts social media influencers more, and listen closely, because this is shocking, more than doctors, academics, or people that are experts. And they look for social media influence based on likability and number of followers. And that's very important because you can see why all of a sudden misinformation, disinformation, and frankly, brand engagement is completely different in the world of social media influencers. Because also Gen Z doesn't look at endorsements as bad. Like other generations, like, oh, they're selling their name. Gen Z's like, no, I want to be an influencer. <laughs> How do I get like, I aspire to do what they're doing that I'm following. So we see a big shift there. We also see the financial piece. And this is the most important for the business owners on here. Historically, people look at young people and think that they're out spending all this money. Gen Z came of age and saw their parents, neighbors, and families struggle through the Great Recession. Some people lose houses, felt the stress, the anxiety, the dinner conversations. And because of that, plus millennials struggling. Remember the Great Recession, millennials crashed into student loan debt, uh, rising cost of living, uh, uh, higher unemployment, uh, lower income, all this stuff crashed into it. So Gen Z saw all of that. But like you and I were talking about earlier, they were old enough to understand, old enough to really get it, but young enough for it to change their views. And as a result, what we see is that Gen Z is much more practical with their money. 
They're driving double-digit growth at thrift stores. This was before COVID, by the way. So driving double-digit at thrift stores. They're looking for employers that are stable. This is important for all the family-owned businesses here. Gen Z ties stability to size, not history. So they think a larger company means it's more stable, not the fact you've been around for 100 years. Why is that important? Because millennials wanted to chase the fast growth. Give me stock options. Can I get promoted? Gen Z wants to know you're going to be able to pay them. You're going to be around a long time. So if you're trying to recruit them, it's very important that you talk about how stable you are. Gen Z also, one of the top three things they say they want are benefits, which is shocking given how young they are. What 22-year-old said, tell me about your benefits. Well, this is the same 22-year-old generation that 12% of them were saving for retirement three years ago, which is shocking. Oh, crazy. It's just wild. So if you just think about them, they're much more practical with their money. And what does that mean? That means they want to know they get a good deal. So if you're marketing to them, they are all about good deals. This, this is how they have been conditioned. And they'll pay full price, but only if they know it's going to last a long time. So it has a lot of utility, which therefore means they're still getting a good deal. Ratings and reviews, dramatically more important with Gen Z than they were with millennials because Gen Z is making more first-time purchases, right? They've delayed everything, getting their driver's license, buying a car, moving out, you name it. So they're doing all those later. And when you go to buy something for the first time and you're nervous about it, you look at ratings and reviews, not just family and friends. You also look at return policy. This is a big one for your um, listeners that sell direct. Gen Z expects everything to be returnable at no cost. They basically want you to take on all the risk of it not working out. And they expect that because somebody else will offer the same thing. Now, I'm not saying that's right, but I am saying if you're trying to drive initial trial, you got to remove the risk increase the likelihood of success so they try it. Because if you do, they're the number one generation to refer their friends. Because guess what? Their friends don't know where to buy either. So there's sort of a perfect storm there. And then as we see them going up, depending on how much you want to talk about COVID and so forth, we see education being the one piece that really right now is going through a lot of change. Obviously, we've got distance learning going on. We've got colleges trying to figure out what to do with students. We've got students deciding whether or not they want to go to college, families deciding whether or not college is worth it. And then you've got, you know, all these kids in middle school who are at home on Zoom watching their friends sit on their beanbags holding a puppy while they're trying to learn math. Like, you know, it's a, it's a tough time. And so we could talk about that too. But the key is Gen Z doesn't represent change. Gen Z is just bringing different expectations as consumers and as employees. And whoever chooses to adapt will win. And most of what they want is free or very inexpensive. And it turns out every other generation wants us to. It's just knowing to do it. Well, and so I, what's so intriguing to me, Jason, is, and this is going to be interesting for the listeners because I'm going to share with you because I want to layer in that parenting perspective. Because again, I'm a millennial. I've got four year olds that are obviously a little bit younger, but than the 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 Gen Z. But what you described in your book is what I have been preaching to my friends, to essentially the listeners and my children is I can't believe the student debt. This is total bullshit. You mean you graduate 200 grand in debt and you're going to go be an analyst at Target for 50 grand? Not worth it. And I've been saying, I mean, like, so yes, it makes, I, 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 there's this whole sense of practicality that I believe that my generation and my, like my college educated friends are just saying like, you have to have the return. Like we just blindly went in there, marched right into college, our whole generation. Then you have, I'm watching our ba- the baby boomer generation not have the, enough money to retire. They spent their way. It was all material goods. So we're teaching the next generation this. And then again, we should have like the transparency with, with um, companies like conscious capitalism. I've been talking about that. I had the CEO on my podcast and it's like, yeah, companies that do shitty work and destroy all like different things should not get rewarded. Why, why wouldn't everybody want that? And so you're starting to watch what I watch in your book is the common sense approach of like, who wouldn't want the stuff 
that the that the Gen Z wants. It's just so intriguing. It's like they've kind of like sucked in all the practicality of the human race and then say, hey, by the way, because of how transparent everything is now, we're just going to voice it. And and then now that they've got, you know, the, the, the fact that they're 24, they're coming into the, they're choosing their employers. So if you want future workers, you want future consumers, you have to do good. Like, it's just like, what a novel concept. Yeah, you're exactly right. And so I think maybe digging a little bit into that, what's interesting is when we look at financials and work ethic, Gen Z very much looks like baby boomers, which is actually what employers want, which is pretty fascinating. They think they're going to have to work harder and longer. They want stability. They're looking to build a career, all these sorts of things. When we look at their social issues and social causes, that's where there's this, this pretty interesting uh, sort of pave their own way. And, and what we, you know, we put out an annual state of Gen Z study. We've done every year for five years, it's totally free. We give it away on, on our websites. And what we've been tracking are the top social causes. And I think this is very important. And yes, it's in the book, but I think it's worth like just talking about right here. And that is that their top social cause of the last four years has been uh, climate change or what they would call climate crisis, to use their words. And they're very focused on what companies of all sizes, small and large, are doing to combat what they view as climate change. However, the new study that we just completed, which uh, we're about to release next month, what we saw was social justice leapfrog all the way to the top. So social justice was always near the top, but now it's number one in, and much stronger in high emotional attachment. And, and remember, we're behavioral researchers, so we're not focused on tracking data. We want to focus on why people make the decisions or have the beliefs that they do, and then add a client's tracking data to it. That's when you get innovation. That's when you really can change the future. And so social justice, everything from diversity and inclusion uh, to gender equity, I and mean, we can go on and on and on. But the key is, uh, and you talked about this with transparency, like they expect this. They expect this at all levels, and they will not go with the, the you know, tried and true sort of lip service. What do I mean by that? Like the, the typical social cause of, we, we're going to make a donation. So we're going to take out a huge check, and we're going to walk to the middle of the football field, and we're going to hold this check up and show everybody our check. And as I always say to these global 2000 brands, First of all, you're holding a piece of paper that Gen Z doesn't know what it is. <laughs> They've never seen one. And you have one that's oversized, which is pretty freaky. And then you wrote in cursive. Like, this is a total fail. <laughs> Let's find two things that they can't get at. Bring out a stone tablet and just start chiseling and see what happens. Hello, Moses. <laughs> yeah. And so it's, you know, I mean, they want to know what you're doing in their communities. They want to see videos. They want to see employees talking about it. They want to see customers fired about it. Like, I think all of this bodes really well long-term. Yes, it's an adjustment, but isn't this what we want? And so as we sort of look ahead, uh, it's really exciting to see what Gen Z brings. And then other generations want the same thing. So it's a huge opportunity. And, and that's why we sort of made the subtitle of the book. It's uh, how Gen Z will change the future of business and what to do about it. Because it's not just, oh, they're going to change things because they're bringing what's normal to them. It's like, no, no, this is a huge opportunity. But we got to be willing to adapt. And, and I think right now, no one has an advantage. And, and this is one of my pet peeves is, Companies waited too long to adapt to millennials. Yeah. And as a result, a lot of great companies went out of business or lost their place in the market. And, and they can't afford to do that with Gen Z now. Like we can't, and we don't need to because we have the data. Well, and what's, what's interesting without, without trying to, obviously we don't have the time to go into every single aspect of the book, but I think, you know, another good common theme about this is the transparency. And you know, if you're, if you're an owner and you're hearing like, God, the expectations of free returns, all these stuff, you do a great job, Jason, in the book of explaining, well, here's why I'll tell you what, because there's enough people that have been screwed by companies over decades for them to teach their kids like, hey, by the way, you can do enough research where you don't have to get screwed anymore. So it's not that the Gen Z is just expecting something that's like irrational. It's coming from 
people that have been getting hosed by companies for so long. And now the ability to look at that stuff. So I think that what I was going to say about the theme of explaining the, 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 the communication, because I think that's where like, yeah, you, a lot of stuff is free, but there's a book that I read called Killing Marketing that talks about every company should have essentially a media company that educates, that creates profit, not necessarily a bunch of like Legos does that, but then they sell product, right? So you build this, you have a personality that's transparent and what all the things that you stand for. And then yes, you have to have a profit engine, but it kind of, it, it's a financial way of looking at it. That's not as intimidating. I think where you have to just all of a sudden eat into your costs to do this. Mm-hmm. There are models to do this, but going back to my point of, I think whether it's banking or education or products or whoever it is, explain the communication style that Gen Z is expecting. Cause I think that's an overarching umbrella of all this. Do you agree or disagree? Or? Yeah, no, I, I agree. And I think that we all have a natural communication style and we bring that to everything we do, sales, marketing, leadership, you name it, having tough conversations. When we look at engaging with Gen Z in terms of as customers and trendsetters or as employees, what we know for a fact is that Gen Z's most comfortable communication style is something through video. And what do I mean by that? I mean that it could be you know using video like some people do to do their meetings on Zoom or what have you, but it could also be video email, which we have companies in the book that do that, but it could also mean training. And I think training is a huge opportunity uh, there's two companies that do this really well. One is this company called Enboarder. So they do they they onboard you by text message. The whole onboarding process is by text message. And you're going, that sounds crazy, difficult. No, it's all an auto sequence that you set up. Everything's done by text message and everybody loves it. And that's why it's growing so fast. Because why would you-, you want an email? Right? <laughs> I can do it all by text message and everybody gets what I need. Or then you have a company called Scoops. It's trained like 10 million people right now and all through video based on their phone. And then you can track it and they got to you know, complete your safety training before they can sign up for their first shift, which of course you want to know that they did. So the first thing we see is video. Uh, the second thing we see generally in communication is Gen Z wants things that are highly visual, meaning photos, diagrams, things that sort of put the pieces together. Particularly on the employment side, they want to know where do they fit within the organization. And I think this is key. Remember, Gen Z is entering the workforce later than any previous generation in the US. So they have the least experience. So they don't know how they fit in the organization. And I would argue Gen Z tends to be closer to the front lines. And I would argue the front lines have never been more important. So they need to know that they are important to the overall business. They want to know in terms of communication, the company's purpose or North Star and not money. That's it's interesting, but that's not motivating. What is the difference a company is going to make in the world? And I would argue even companies that have historically only focused on profit can have huge purposes that people get rallied around. And that's what, frankly, we'll see you through good and bad times. You know, I serve on a number of corporate boards and uh, work with all these P and venture capital firms. And during this COVID-19 time, yes, we wanted people to make the hard decisions, but what really created alignment was still having that purpose that people knew they were fighting for. That is so incredibly important, not just when things are going right, but when things are extremely challenging. And then on communication, we found that Gen Z wants to have short feedback loops. Right now in our new study we just did, we found that Gen Z needs more frequent communication if they're working from home. Why? because they haven't built the relationships with everybody else, right? They're the newest people on the block. And so uh, a quick text message or message or IM or anything like that is all they need. They don't need 30 minutes with you. They, they don't want 30 minutes with you. They want a two second message that basically checks in with them or says, you know, that they, that they exist. Like that's it. So when we look at communication going all the way forward. We see that Gen Z wants to drive innovation on the customer side. They want to be able to share with you how they think you can make your product or service better. They want to be able to do it through chat or text message. And then you want to be able to take that and actually put it into an innovation process, which they love. 
Same with ratings and reviews. And this to me is the key. People think that the younger generations are the ones that write negative reviews online. It's not true. Most of what we see is that Gen X is actually the one that writes the negative reviews. <laughs> a joke you can always tell because they use commas and semicolons. But <laughs> the, the, yeah, it's true. But the, the younger generations are the number one generations to write something positive and tell their friends about it because they're, they, they want to be a resource to their friends. They want to help. Their, they're all in this together. It's really fascinating. And then as you sort of drive that forward, we see on the employee side, they need very specific talent development. This will make all the boomers happy. The two things that Gen Z said they most want to develop are communication and problem solving. Those are the two skill sets. Guess what Boomer said they most wanted younger employees to develop? Communication and problem solving. So there's huge alignment here. And I mean, I could just keep going, but this generation is a great fit for what we need right now. Well, it, it so is. And I, and I truly said, Jason, like it was so, it made me feel so optimistic because like it, when you go through the trends, it's like, it's something that everybody wants. It's like, they're like, they're listening to what everybody has been saying. I'm again, fifth, five generations that are out there and then they can actually essentially vote with their influence all the time, right? With their, with their chatter online. And it's like, it, it just makes so much sense because all the things that they want doesn't, it, when I was listening to it, I'm like, everybody wants these things. Like, I like your example about an insurance, like who the hell wants to sit down and you know, go across town, sit down, go through all this bullshit just to buy insurance or just give it to me. And like, yeah. it's like, I'm assuming everybody wants that. Or like when you're buying something, don't you want to be caught up to up to date to be a text one and how it's being delivered? I mean, like, I think it's just normal stuff that we all want these days and it's going to be a challenge to get there. But what, what made me twice as optimistic is that how many plan on being entrepreneurs, how, how much they understand finances. Cause my, our generation is very transparent compared to the boomers. Like no one talks about what they make our generation. Everybody talks about what they make because yeah. they're trying to figure out how do we make more money? So being able to share that financial knowledge with the next generation, how entrepreneurial they are and how much they're looking at finances. It's just, I think the big challenge is, you know, Peter Drucker talked about it. He was way ahead of his time in the eighties the knowledge worker, he coined that term. And it was, we have to learn how to manage oneself. And I just got done watching the social dilemma, which again, <laughs> you know, the, the, the documentary Netflix of how do you eliminate the anxiety and the overbearing information that is coming at you 24 seven. I don't know if you, you know, as we're getting close to the end of the time here, how do you manage some of that stuff? Or what do you see some of the risks that that generation has with that? Yeah, I think there's there's sort of two things going on. One is for the employers and marketers and the business owners, what I would encourage you to do is to create what we call a generational snapshot, which means you create essentially a pie chart that shows you the percentage of each generation that's in your workplace. That's the best place to start to understand sort of where you are. And then you look at that and go, one, am I communicating in ways that, that meet the needs of these different generations? And two, over the next two to three years, how is that going to adapt? And do we have the processes or the tools or the, the technology or the people in place in order to sort of change with that over the next two to three years. That tends to be a pretty big wake-up call to have some great conversations. On the customer side, you do the same thing with the data that you do have. And people use things like average age of customer. And I always joke that just because the average age of the customer isn't increasing, that doesn't mean you're doing the right thing. <laughs> people could just be dying off. you know. So there's a lot going on there that we need to be aware of. Uh, and then when we think about sort of all this over-messaging, uh, we're we're big believers, and we've looked a lot at this. You know, social media, and, and some of this is in the book, definitely drives uh, anxiety and stress and a decrease in self worth with Gen Z. We have seen that they've come of age with cyberbullying. They've come of age with so many negative things just pummeling them. In fact, in our new study, 
um, we talked about the anxiety that Gen Z feels being physically away from their phone for only five minutes Crazy. and the anxiety they feel of somebody touching their phone. So all of these things are very true to the generation and, and that has to be worked out. There's definitely going to be social and emotional issues because of COVID-19 and because of their dependence on social media. Um, but one sort of glimmer of hope that we're seeing is Gen Z does appear to be much better at understanding misinformation and disinformation. Awesome. And ironically, they seem to be the ones who are pretty good at using it. <laughs> it's the older generation that struggle. <laughs> so uh, we, we may see sort of a, a big swing back the other way, depending on how it goes. But, <laughs> you know, we'll, we'll see how it all plays out. <laughs> so this is, it, it, I could keep going on for a long, long time, but obviously go read the book. And, you know, if you're, what, what would be the biggest thing if you're, you know, what if you were to sit down in front of anybody and they they, they need to understand the concept of generations and what's coming. What what is the, usually the biggest takeaway that you you know to quickly get across so people can continue to learn on their own? Yeah, I think the biggest would sort of be this idea that generations are clues and not a box, but they're clues that help us connect with, build trust, and drive influence. That Gen Z is older than most people assume; they're already twenty four years old, turning twenty five, and they are not millennials two point Everybody says they're millennials two point That is completely bogus. They're a very different generation. And when we get really get into the insights around Gen Z, I think people become much more optimistic and inspired and, and really wanting to engage with them as employees, as customers, and even as parents and grandparents, because you see the trajectory that they're on and your ability to engage with them. So we are extremely optimistic about Generation Z. It's why we wrote Z Economy. And we believe that the more we understand generations in a constructive way, not in the negative pointing fingers, but in a constructive way, the more we can come together, build stronger teams, drive innovation and drive the outcomes that, that frankly, we all want. Two more questions. The first one is, what does the word intentional mean for you? What does the word intentional mean for you? I think being focused on creating the outcome that you desire. Love it. Second one is best place to get in touch with you and all your material. Uh, LinkedIn is the best place to get in touch with me. And then in terms of all our material, you can download all of our studies uh, that we're able to share for free. They're all on our website, which is genhq, genhq.com. Or you can watch my videos, which are also for free on my website, jasondorsey.com. Jason, thank you so much for coming on the show. I had a blast. Thanks, Ryan. This has been awesome. Look forward to coming on again. I hope you enjoyed that episode. I absolutely love diving into generations and the different values that we all have. I think my biggest takeaway is that I am extremely encouraged about the future generations coming up. I think Gen Z captures so much of what all the generations before them want from this world, and they're starting to vote with their wallets. And I am excited to watch this all happen. And if you're a business owner, I think we can take a lot from How should we communicate? How do we build trust? How do we become transparent and use that wave that's happening to grow your company and differentiate yourself amongst your competitors who are still thinking that the world is closed from information and that you have to only focus on the profits and the bottom line for this year because you start taking a long view of your business and the world that we live in, you're going to be able to tap into trends like Generation Z and their wallets and their spending, which is what drives all the economy. Don't forget to check out our intentional growth virtual cohorts and the intentional growth course and coaching options that are on our website, arcona.io. Thanks again for tuning back in and I will see you next week.